Welcome to Revive Families Connecting Hearts with researcher, author, speaker, and coach Jeff Schott. Jeff is devoted to keeping the hearts of parents and kids connected. He developed Influential Parenting, a comprehensive program designed to help parents target the root of behavior issues rather than whacking away at the surface. Jeff also wrote the book Going, Going, Gone, which helps parents understand the reasons kids depart the faith. It gives parents the information they need to open conversations with their kids to prevent this outcome. Learn more about Revive Family, its resources and coaching for families at revivefamily.com. Welcome back to Revive Families Connecting Hearts. I'm Jeff Schott, the founder of Revive Family, and I'm glad to be back with you this week as we continue in the series, Discovering Our Patients. When we began the series last week, we talked about a number of challenging things. One of those things was the fact that impatience at the root of it really is selfishness. The second thing we talked about came from the article, 10 Tips to Help You Become a More Patient Parent, that started with number one being, know that it's not your child, it's you, which is never a fun realization to come to as a parent. I must admit that this is not the way I saw things when I became a parent. It was not until I began to see the negative effects in the relationship with my kids of my strict, impatient parenting ways that I began to re-examine myself and my parenting style and approach. I'll tell you what, talking to a thousand plus kids face-to-face convicted me that my strict ways and my reactions were not helping but harming my kids' desire to listen to me and that I was actually pushing them out of my life and towards the things I thought I was keeping them from by my strict reactive ways. And it's interesting that my research with thousands of kids, along with this article, The 10 Tips to Help You Become a More Patient Parent, says this, the more connected you are to your children, the more they will respond with respect. I found this to be true with all four of my kids and first witnessed this reality in the rare relationships I found that I documented in my research. So many of the relationships between parents and kids were broken, at least from the kids' perspective. And every once in a while, I would find this rare relationship where things were going well, and often those kids and parents were incredibly close and connected, and they talked and handled things very differently than the rest of the families where the child was emotionally distancing or divorcing their parent, often without the parent's knowledge. The other difficult thing we talked about last week was look at the situation from your child's perspective. I know as a parent, this can be incredibly difficult. We've grown up and we see all the things we're doing in our schedule as way more important than our kids. So climbing into their eyes and seeing that the game they're playing or the thing that they're doing is just as important to them as what we're asking them to do is to us, is really a challenge for us as parents, but vital if we're going to become patient parents. In fact, most kids I work with in coaching have a ton of different things bottled up, issues they don't feel they've been able to resolve with their parents, messages that their parents send that they think are motivating them or are okay, that are actually being perceived by the kids in a very negative light. And getting them to open up and helping the parent understand their perspective always turns on light bulbs because the parent goes, wow, I didn't realize you were feeling that way. Wow, I didn't realize that message was impacting you in such a negative way. And that understanding brings closeness. And that closeness, according to all the research, is what actually protects our kids. It's not our boundaries and our control. If you'd like to go back to last week's program and listen to it in more depth, you can go to revivefamily.com forward slash podcasts. 
revivefamily.com forward slash podcast and listen to the first program in this series, Discovering Our Patients. I highly recommend it if patience is one of the things that's causing you to feel like a failure as a parent. I have found in my own life, working with my own kids, that when I take the time to really understand their perspective and see things through their eyes, it's amazing how much I come to understand them, how much more mercy and compassion I have for them, and as a result, I have a lot more patience for them as well. But if this is the case between you and your kid and you're still finding patience to be a challenge, odds are you're dealing with emotional triggers, which is what we're going to talk about in today's program. How do we identify our triggers? What do we do with them? How do we heal so that we can have the patience we all desire to have as parents? One of the reasons identifying our triggers is so important is, one, we come to self-awareness, and that can often help us begin to defeat the things at a deeper level. But two, it helps us explain what's going on to our kids and enables our kids to understand so that they can be steered or avoid some of those triggers. When we are aware, it can explain them to our kids. One, they understand Two, they feel a bit better because it doesn't just seem random. And three, they start to feel like they can be safe around you, which allows them to draw closer to you while you're wrestling with deeper healing to get rid of the triggers. And this is where I want to take a second to remind us of what I said last program, which is parents don't get down on yourself. If you're encountering impatient issues, reactions, anger, things that cause you to feel like a failure, and you get down on yourself and put more pressure on yourself, it's more likely that you'll react to even smaller things going forwards. Pressure just isn't a good thing for patients. In the article, The 10 Tips to Help You Become a More Patient Parent, This is the definition of trigger from the article. Emotional triggers are people, words, opinions, situations, or environmental situations that provoke an intense, excessive emotional reaction within us. Common emotions that we experience while being triggered include anger, rage, sadness, and fear. Virtually anything can trigger us depending on our beliefs, values, and early life experiences, such as a tone of voice, a type of person, a particular viewpoint, a single word. Anything can be a trigger. In fact, when you study triggers, it's kind of fascinating because there are truly three primary types of triggers. The first is different or opposing beliefs. When we strongly identify with a certain belief system, We will find it easy to trigger and will find it hard to be tolerant of other opposing beliefs. Some examples of this might be religious beliefs, which is apropos to talk about since this program's on the Faith Radio Network, and we've seen so many reactions to things as our society has changed that basically we haven't been willing to interact with or talk about or come to see the other side's perspective on many things. And as a result, we've seemed intolerant, unloving, judgmental, condemning. And I think that's part of the reason that we've lost our culture. We've lost our country. But to be fair, we can see this also with political ideologies. It seems like while we're being condemned for being intolerant, There are political ideologies out there that seem just as hostile or very intolerant of anything that we might think or believe. So we can see in this two perfect examples of belief systems that can cause us to trigger, to overreact, and lead to damage as opposed to lead to understanding, healing, and unity, which is what we see Jesus doing when he's here on the planet. He didn't allow the differences in what people were doing that were different than what he taught to come between them. He didn't 
react. He didn't get angry. Instead, he loved, he helped, he healed. The second area that can really lead to triggers is past trauma. We trigger as a result of the experiences of trauma in our past. We know we're triggered when we have a strong reaction leading to fear, panic, or anger. We get triggered when we see, hear, taste, touch, or smell something that reminds us of a previous traumatic situation or circumstance. And the third type of trigger, which can be potentially the most volatile, is self-preservation, or some call it ego preservation. This is our sense of self-identity that we carry with us, which is comprised of our thoughts, memories, cultural values, assumptions, and beliefs that developed in order to fit into our family of origin and or our society. According to the article, we all have an ego, and its primary purpose is to protect us by developing elaborate self-protection mechanisms in the form of beliefs, ideas, desires, habits, and addictions in order to prevent us from facing what we fear the most, the death of our ego or ourself. When our egos are challenged or hurt by others, we are prone to become triggered immediately. We will argue, insult, get angry, belittle, defame, backstab, sabotage, assault, and even murder in extreme circumstances of triggers related to self-preservation. This happens when people pose a threat to our basic egos or self-identity's survival. Such triggers lead to intense emotions of hatred, disgust, anger, fear, terror, or grief. They lead to what we believe are self-protective behaviors like shouting, arguing, insulting, hiding, crying, or otherwise emotionally reacting. But what I've discovered is that there's a significant challenge with self-protective behaviors like this because they actually lead to us getting hurt more over and over again. Why? Because our unhealthy reactions result in others distancing from us, which can lead to more triggers in us with feelings of abandonment or rejection. These are very painful. Our reactions can also lead to people pushing back and making observations or accusations based upon the way we reacted, leading to more hurt for us. So while we go to these places to self-protect, are they really protecting us or are they harming us and harming those around us? And unfortunately, what I've found in my coaching is oftentimes the kids are the easiest target for these triggers and reactions because they're not our equals and they're emotional and they're busy and they're distracted. And so there's many things kids can do or say that can serve as triggers in the lives of parents. And I want you to know you're not alone if this is what's happening with you. In fact, all of us have triggers. And what I've found is a very small percentage of the population has actually taken time to really identify, dig into, and see God heal the areas of woundedness within them that cause them to trigger. And it's really not on our side of the ledger anyways. If we were wounded as children in the culture of our families, those triggers are there. And we didn't put them there. It's not something we're doing intentionally. It's not that we're bad people or have bad hearts. It's that we have this trigger or these triggers that we really need to turn and identify, bring to consciousness, and address. And when we come back in a couple of minutes with Revive Families Connecting Hearts, we'll continue looking at how do we identify the triggers and what do we do with them? How do we bring healing to them? We'll be back in just a couple of moments. 
Hi there, it's Jeff Schott, the founder of Revive Family, and I'm coming to you in the middle of this program because this is an intense topic, and I know it's an area that I've had to deal with myself, and it's one of the things I love to help parents address in the coaching that I do. And I know there's always that fear factor of contacting someone and saying, hey, I could use some help. But trust me, I've been through an incredible journey of losing a company, being clinically depressed, you name it, I've kind of been there. And as a result, God's gifted me to help others process and heal in oftentimes miraculous ways. So if you've been considering contacting me, do it. I don't bite, and I really love coming alongside husbands and wives parents that are struggling to be the parents they want to be and who need help getting their kids to open up. So if patience and triggers are one of the things you're dealing with, feel free to reach out. Go to our site, go to contact us, reach out to me. We'll set up a time to talk and we'll talk for free. Oftentimes I do my coaching entirely for free or on a donation basis because we're here to help and we don't want money to get in the way. There's nothing more frustrating than confronting the same issue in our lives over and over again and feeling frustrated and not knowing where to turn. So reach out. I look forward to talking with you. Welcome back to Revive Families Connecting Hearts. I'm Jeff Schott, the founder of Revive Family, and we're in the middle of session two, discovering our patients, talking about triggers. In the first half of this program, we talked about triggers, the definition of triggers, what leads to triggers in terms of our self-protective instincts and the three categories of triggers that we need to be searching around for in ourselves if we want to be those gracious, loving parents like Jesus was with the troubled people around him. Remember, I say it often, he had 5,000 chasing him around the lake when he wanted to slip away. And oftentimes it's our triggers, our impatience that's causing our kids not to want to follow us. And as we've been going along in this series, I've been referring back to an article, 10 Tips to Become a More Patient Parent. I found it to be a really good article, and it's something I would recommend that you might look up and read for yourself. And I mention it right now because I want to refer back to it again, because according to the article, it says this, when we aren't aware of our emotional triggers, let alone how to handle them, our lives follow destructive paths. I've witnessed this in my coaching where parents and older teens are not aware of their triggers and their associated past pain. It leads to frustration with themselves. They get negative about themselves because they can't stop reacting, and it leads to more hurt and anger in their families with their family members leading to chaos in our homes. The article continues by saying this, identifying your emotional triggers is so vital because without bringing it to consciousness, what provokes extreme responses from you, you'll be a puppet constantly manipulated by your emotions. Your friendships will be strained or ruined, your relationships will be turbulent or sabotaged, and your life in general will be much more painful. And this is why I want to beg you to consider identifying your triggers. Because the pain isn't just coming your way in greater volume because of it, but it's causing pain in those around you, especially in your family. And maybe you're sitting there going, I'm ready. I really want to get rid of these triggers. So here's the way we can begin to identify our triggers. And in many ways, they all deal with self-awareness. Number one, we need to become mindful of our bodies by being in tune to how our body is responding in different situations. 
in effect, our body can serve as an early warning system because normally there will be some physical representation of the pressure building up in us before we trigger. If we're in tune to things like our increasing heart rate, hot or cold flashes, tingles, a change that indicates you're physically pulling back or withdrawing from what is happening, that's a good indication that you're in the process of beginning to trigger. And it can be that early warning sign that allows us to step back before things go awry. Something else we can do is be in tune with our thought life. We need to pay attention for extreme thoughts that are polarizing or divisive. When we get into a black and white thought process, thinking that someone's either good or bad, a situation is right or wrong, or a person or thing is either good or evil. When our thoughts flow into these type of hard, fast positions, we're moving towards triggering. So the goal is to become aware of these thoughts, which will clue us in that we could trigger and entertain and ponder those thoughts without reacting. Just becoming aware and pondering them rather than having them sneak up on us and lead to a reaction can make a big difference. The article recommends listing these types of polarizing divisive thought patterns in a journal, which can help us enhance our self-awareness and lead to better communication in the future because we're processing those things away from anyone else. There's no way for us to trigger. And finally, once the awareness of your body, your thought life, and emotional reaction increases, it's time to identify who, what, and or the words that trigger those emotional responses. According to the article, your triggers could range from anything like loud noises to men who are overly dominating or opinionated. Not only that, but you may have a whole series of triggers most people do. So be vigilant and open to perceiving a whole spectrum of things that may set you off. Triggers can be verbal and nonverbal communication, specific situations, locations, rooms, times, tones of voice, and even smells. It's important to write these realizations down and reflect upon them. This will increase your self-awareness, which is essential if we want to overcome impatience and reactions in order to become a safe place for our kids. Returning to the article suggests that oftentimes triggers have prerequisites. They set the stage for the trigger to occur. And it suggests that identifying prerequisites offers us the opportunity to head the trigger off at the pass. Specifically, the article says this, sometimes there are certain prerequisites to being triggered. For example, having a stressful day at work, waking up on the wrong side of the bed, not sleeping at night, going to certain uncomfortable places like the mall, listening to kids fight. Virtually anything can set the stage for being triggered later on. When you are trying to identify your emotional triggers, You can prevent yourself from being triggered in the future simply by slowing down once you're aware of the trigger's prerequisites, what builds up to you finally triggering. You can become aware of the prerequisites and realize that that's what's happening. You can slow down. You can take deep breaths. You can stop and pray and prevent the trigger altogether. So what's at the root of triggers? Unfortunately, it kind of stems back to that thing called selfishness that we talked about being the root of impatience because triggers typically stem from our needs or desires not being met. This often ties to our needs for safety, love, acceptance, value, and belonging going unmet 
in our childhood. Though some triggers from trauma can be established at older ages, like in the event of rape or PTSD enduring traumas, most often deep triggers that are hard to identify and bring to consciousness stem back to things that we encountered when we were young. As a result of these experiences, we can develop exaggerated desires and needs that the people around us will either be unable to avoid triggering or unable to meet because they're exaggerated. This is yet another reason why it's so important to identify them. Because of how we grew up and because these things are deeply ingrained in us, we may be believing that our family isn't doing enough, isn't meeting our needs enough, or isn't cooperative or respectful enough, but it's an exaggerated need. When we're not aware they're exaggerated, we can end up blaming those around us for our triggers, which is common in the families I work with. Unfortunately, when this is the case, we unintentionally create the same areas of woundedness in our kids, leading them to have similar exaggerated desires and needs. This is how the cycle gets passed from generation to generation, which is why we as parents need to take our triggers seriously. We have an amazing opportunity to break the cycle with our kids. So let's consider carefully some of the common desires and needs that can become exaggerated and lead to chaos in our families. These desires or needs include acceptance, autonomy, attention, love, safety, fun, consistency, needing to know, respect, peacefulness, predictability, understanding, being liked, being needed, being right, being valued, being treated fairly, being in control. While most of these things aren't inherently bad things, when they become exaggerated given our past, they can become highly destructive to our relationships, our families, and our kids. It's far too easy when we're unaware of these emotional wounded areas that can lead to triggers for us to blame those around us for the things that are painful, fearful, or leave us feeling out of control. Many of the adults I work with have a hard time identifying their feelings because what I've discovered is underneath these things are often a cadre of multiple feelings that lead to an area of woundedness that cause reactions. For example, anger is a secondary emotion. When we get angry, there are always three, four, five, six different feelings going on all tangled up together that we didn't take time to understand, we didn't perceive, and as a result, we couldn't communicate it, and it just kind of all balled up into a reaction into anger. I've found that understanding these feelings can help us with the next step if we really want to see our triggers erased as opposed to just heading them off at the pass. Typically, triggers stem from areas of negativity in us that often are a result of things that we took responsibility for that we shouldn't have when we were kids. They typically have a beginning point. For some people, they constantly feel like they're not good enough. So when their spouse or their kid says something that triggers that sense, that deep sense of being not good enough from childhood, they get defensive. They get reactive. They get angry. They run away and cry. All of these types of triggered responses lead the other person feeling out of control, feeling hopeless, feeling hurt because they don't know what they did and why it was so bad. So if we can take 
the trigger we've identified and its prerequisites and then identify the feelings that happen underneath those things and then consider where did those feelings begin? What started that cycle, that belief process within us? We can get back to the root of it. And oftentimes those things are very painful. And if we'll take those to God and allow a grieving process that God designed to take place in us, we can see deep healing so that the triggers are removed. In working with adults, I find oftentimes they're not aware of all these feelings. They have a hard time getting in touch with them, bringing them to consciousness or expressing them, which is why I developed a feelings chart that's quite comprehensive. If you have a hard time identifying, understanding, and communicating your feelings, which is one of the ways we can prevent anger, frustration, and impatience by being aware of how we're feeling and sharing that compassionately with our kids, I found kids get that and they respond to our self-awareness and transparency. If you'd like a copy of our feelings chart just go to our site, revivefamily.com, put feelings chart in the contact us, and I'll send it to you. And if you've been going to counseling, you've been dealing with this situation for a long time, and you'd like to talk with me, I would love to talk with you. We're seeing God do amazing things in people's lives. So don't hesitate to reach out with our contact us form and say, can we talk? And I'll be glad to set a time to talk with you. I'm Jeff Schott, the founder of Revive Family, and this is Connecting Hearts. Thanks for joining us. I'll be back next week with more about how we discover our patients. Have a great week. That's it for this edition of Revive Family Parenting in the 21st Century with Jeff Schott. We'll return soon with another program designed to help you become a wiser, more effective, more influential parent. Jeff's website is revivefamily.com. Parenting in the 21st Century is produced in association with Faith Radio. Jeff Schott is a pastoral counselor and coach. He is not a licensed healthcare professional. What you've heard is not a substitute for seeking professional medical or psychological support. 